grab a Bible, and if you don't own one, there's one in the pew in front of you, and that one's yours. That's a gift from Church Triumphant to you. Um, you can turn to Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 is where we're going to start this morning. Um, and if you've got your, like, your iPad or your smartphone or some kind of tablet with you that you used, you could go on version. My notes are on there. You put in 45644 uh, in the search area and... Church T should show, should show up there. Um, the last couple of weeks, I've been, we've been talking about getting in shape for kingdom fitness. And um, my wife encouraged me, I, I told you guys a couple, for the last couple of weeks, I want you to, uh, these things are to be reproducible in you and through you. And my wife is an amazing lady that she is. She's encouraged me that if I want you to reproduce them, I should draw them in front of you. So we grabbed the whiteboard. And help you guys make that connection. If you were at first service two weeks ago, you missed the talk on believe and repent, the circle. And I'm going to kind of briefly go through that. You can go, you can go online, go to churchtea.org and, and look at the previous messages. Listen to them. Not really look at them. You have to listen to them. We don't have, we're not doing video just yet because that scares me. Anyway, um, the repent and believe circle. Let's check this out. Your life goes on a timeline. The Bible, the Greek word for that in the scriptures is called chronos. Day after day, get up, go to work, do the thing, and you just have this, 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 this timeline your life is lived by. At some point in time, as your everyday is going on, there comes an event, a moment, where life stops, and it cannot go on until you make some adjustments. Maybe it has something to do with an addiction. Maybe it has something to do with a job situation. Maybe it has something to do with a sickness. Maybe it has something to do with a, with a marital issue. Uh, whatever. It could be any number. There's something at work. And all of a sudden you realize, until I change some things, life can't keep going. And you begin the circle. Okay? That's a wonderful looking circle, isn't it? On the one side of the circle, we have repent. Repent means to, to, to turn around to take another route, to go another direction. And in that repent side of the circle, we must inquire, what is wrong? What's happened? Why has life ended up here? That's the, then, then we have to seek insight. We gotta go, why? I'm here, why um, am I here? I'm seeking out insight. Why I'm here, I realize I'm here, what am I doing here? Why am I here? And then the next piece of the puzzle is you need to involve others in your life. Let them ask you hard questions. Let them give you good answers and truthful and honest answers and say, this is what's happened. This is why you ended up here. And you begin this, the process of turnaround. But you can't just repent. If you read Jesus' initial message in the, that he spoke concerning the kingdom in Mark 1, 14, 15, he says, repent, and then he goes, that's two words, and believe. Scripturally, belief is this, it boils down to trust. It's not, it's not enough just to believe here, you have to trust with your whole life. And the way you start to come up the other side of the circle in trust is, I forgot the word, that's funny. Intend. You got to start to develop a plan. Shoo, that's crazy. I can remember this one was engage. Knew that. And this one was implement. Okay. Intend. I know you guys can read that. <laughs> oh, boy. Intend. I got to start laying out somehow of getting me away from where I am to where I need to be. 
I had to put some intentions together. But I can't just put intentions together. I have to engage, which means I take, you can read that. I have to take responsibility for my life and I have to involve myself in accountability. Accountability is this. You have some close friends, some close confidants who know what your struggles, your weaknesses, your problems are, and they call you when they need to. And they say, look, and I think you're sliding. Hey, I think you got an issue there. I think you should stay away from that. You know what happened last time you did that. Hey, be careful. And they're praying for you. They're helping you. They're speaking into your life. And then what you do once you've engaged in a a, a lifestyle of responsibility and accountability, you implement the plan. Jesus told this lady who was caught in the act of adultery, he said, go and sin no more. Otherwise, let the change happen. Let it turn around and, and keep going down the timeline. I talked about, somebody said, is that a slinky after first service? This is a slinky. You know what a slinky is? A slinky is a series of circles that are all round together, and one built on the other creates momentum. This slinky will climb down a staircase all by itself. That repentance is to be a lifestyle. It's an instantaneous moment in time where you have come to an altar one time with Christ and you're just good to go. Repentance happens every day that you live. There, you are being changed from glory to glory, more into the likeness and the image of Christ. You're becoming more like him and you're gaining spiritual and, and, and emotional and relational and maybe even physical momentum from the work of Jesus in your life. That's the circle. Last week, I talked about the semicircle. Funny part was, I seem to be getting a lot of that this week, that most of us are human doings, not human beings. The pastor I listened to online named Matt Chandler preached a message on April the 14th I didn't know about till last Monday morning. And right in the middle of it, he's preaching out of the book of Nehemiah, and he camps out right here. And he says these words, and I had to go back and rewind it. He says, he says, you know, some of us are just more comfortable being human doings rather than being human beings. He spent the whole last half of his message preaching the message I preached last week. <laughs> I walked into the secretary's office, showed it, had my iPad playing. I said, check this out. What's your message? Who's that preaching? I said, that's Matt Chandler from Dallas, Texas. He preached out a week ago. No, kidding. I think God's trying to get a message across to us. That there's this pendulum, there's, this, there's this, this rhythm of life that kind of represented by this pendulum hanging on this clock here. It t- Let me bring this out here. It tips back and forth, it swings back and forth on purpose to keep things moving as they should be, to keep things going as they ought to go. And if we don't learn to rest in Christ, we will work ourselves to death. And if we don't learn to be productive in the kingdom, we'll become slothful and lazy and be good for nothings. There's this rhythm that has to go on. That, 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 that our, my rest is found in the person of Christ. It's one of the top 10 on God's commandment list, but it's not about a day of the week. Mark that off your list. The Sabbath came before there was a list of commandments. And the Sabbath came not because God, God wanted a day. Uh, the commandment came, the Sabbath came, you know why? Because God wanted us. Some of you, the thought of taking a day off just freaks you out. So much to do, so many things. But you know what? You are wear, you're, you're wearing yourself thin. You're wearing your family thin. 
You're wearing your boss thin because you always have a sorry attitude. You're doing all sorts of things, and, and, and you're, 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 you're running at a frantic pace, and you know what? You're going to burn yourself up, and you're going to mess up your family, and you're going to mess up your life, and you're going to wonder what happened years down the road. Why don't I know my kids? Why don't I know my wife? Why don't I know this? You know why? Because you got into this and forgot about that. And there's this thing of, of work and rest, but see, Jesus tells us to abide in him. John 15, remain in him. Out of our remaining in him and abide in him, the rhythm of life moves at the correct pace, and we find that our life is fruitful. Because he's the one we're banking on. He's the one we're trusting. It's not on us, it's on him. I find my value not in what I can do, but who I am in Christ. There's a big, big difference. And if all my work is done out of a heart of love for everything Christ done for me, then all of a sudden work doesn't work anymore. It becomes kingdom activity. It becomes the opportunity to change a life of someone. It becomes a chance to interact with people and change the world and, 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 and provide for my family and just enjoy being what God's called me to be. Therefore, I get to do certain things. But see, we don't, this, this is also the area, this side of the thing is also where we grow because we're in him. Our, our life is planted in fertile soil on this side of the equation. But see, at some point in time, the pendulum swings all the way around here and we get to our optimal amount of work, work production capabilities. Get all the way up here and the pendulum is swing. And there's this thing like with a, if you read John 15, Jesus talks about pruning in order to be more fruitful, oftentimes God's got to cut certain things away from our lives. And so in the, as we approach the pinnacle of, of our effectiveness, we'll come back and get way up here. And as this things are going, God will say, okay, I need to trim that away. I need to trim that away. I need to take care of that and make you, you know, how, that's what you do with a tree, right? An apple tree or, or something like that. You cut them back so when they bear more fruit, they can handle. The stalk grows more, more solid. The, 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 it's not overwhelmed with all the fruit hanging. It's able to withstand storms and all that sort of thing. And so it's the same idea for us in the kingdom. Okay? Those are the first two shapes we looked at. Okay, those are, those are the, they actually put on one there because if I, if I trust in Christ, I can rest on him. And if I'm resting in him, then I can build my life on what really counts. And it's not the stuff that I do. Are you hearing me? It's the people and the God that I serve that matter. Ooh, that's a biggie. Which is, which is, which is number three, okay? We're going to dive into the triangle today, all right? Talking about our relational priorities. Talking about relationships. We are relational beings. I am relational to the nth degree. I, 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 and I, I want to be, here, here's the thing. I don't, I don't mind text messaging and I don't mind Twitter and stuff like that too much. I like it for information, but you know what I want? I want face-to-face encounters. I hate, I despise snail mail. I'd rather have a face-to-face conversation any week, any day of the week than write a letter. I'd rather make a phone call. I'd rather hear, I'd rather hear a voice. I'd rather hear, hear the inflection and the emotion of what's being said. I, I'd rather be that. And I know some of you aren't that. We're all on different scales of extroverts and introverts and in here. But here's the bottom line. We are all called to be social. We are all created in a social capacity. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. But you know what we've, you know what we've done? We've given into things that give false facades of actual, actual interaction. In our day and age, we call them social media. I think because I've text messaged somebody several times, I don't really know who they are. 
I think because I have X amount of friends on Facebook that I'm really connected and I'm really liked and people really take care of me and nothing could be farther from the truth. You are just a two-dimensional face on a screen. That's what I like to call Facebook gossip book. A lot of stuff said on Facebook never would be said in public. You've said a lot of things about people in here. Many of you would never say face-to-face to them or anything else. I used to, can I tell a story on you? Please. I used to watch my wife, and she, 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 she's on, she's on face, she's on, she's on Facebook, and she does really good. Don't, 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 don't miss it. But I can remember early on when this whole this technology started taking off, she would play euchre online. Have ever done that? Huh? And you could chat with the people playing at your table. And I watched my wife turned into this lady behind the screen that was not the lady that lived with me every day of the. Come on, what are you doing? And she's just, I'm like, woo, relax, really? Where did, where did, that, where did that come from? I don't, I, don't know who she, I don't know who you are. <laughs> I still love you. And, um, but I watched it. And, and, and you, you, you'll find yourself thinking you are... Somebody likes you or cares about you. You know what? If you want to have a conversation with me, please do not send me a six-message text. Oh! Ah! Nothing. Send me a book via text message. Come on, really? I want to throw my phone out of the car when that happens. You know, I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden my phone's going... I'm thinking, okay, Rachel's trying to get a hold of me, and, I, I'm, and I'm trying to drive and trying to get the thing out. Maybe the kids are, and they're six text. I mean, really, we're made to be relational, and you, you don't, don't mistake social media and, ele- and, and electronic stuff uh, as being that. It's good for information, don't get me wrong, but we, we are mixed up what relationship really is. God, God intends for us to live our lives relationally in three dimensions. A two-dimensional figure is what you see on the front of a face page, on a Facebook or whatever. You don't get to see the real person all the time. I know people have gotten hooked up on, and if you did, get hooked up online and stuff. It's cool. I'm all right with it. But I'm just thinking, dude, how do you really know what you're getting yourself into? People can say anything. I don't know. It's cool. I know you harmony and all that stuff. Okay, cool, whatever. But uh, I, I want to see you face-to-face. I want to talk to you. I want to know you. I want to I wanna be, uh, there's got to be something about that. And God tells us about how these dimensions work. Not in two dimensions. That's most of us, we work in two dimensions when it comes to relationships. God wants us working in three dimensions. Look at, look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He, he explains it to us right in the middle of this passage of Scripture. The, the, the question's posed, what do you require of us, basically, is the beginning part of the, 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 the chapter. And in verse 8, he answers the question. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. And he lists three things. To do what is right to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The three dimensions. One passage passage I just read to you out of New Living says, to do what is right. One passage says, to do justly. One translation. This is the out facet. How my life is lived out in front of other people. To do right to do what God calls me to do. Let my light shine before men so that they may glorify my Father which is in heaven. And so 
That's the outpouring. He says, to love mercy. And there's this place where I get in with a group of people that have experienced the grace and the love and the mercy of God. And we grow together and we walk together and we live together. And then there's the idea of the up, that I walk humbly with God. What it says there in Micah 6, 8. Those are the, the, the three dimensions of relationship. There's going to be an up, there's going to be an in, and there's going to be an out. There's got to be a connection to the God, our Father. There's going to be a connection with those who are of like precious faith. And there's going to be a reaching towards those who have yet to start the journey with us. So as we look at that, let's, let's dig a little deeper. Um, as always, I'm going to make this clear. Jesus is our compass. Always, always, always. We're going to look at how to live. We have to look at the person of Christ, how he walked this planet, how he lived out his life. And there's a real brief piece of scripture in Luke chapter 6 that describes these these three concepts. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, uh, reads like this. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. There's the up. If you drop down to verse 13, it says, At daybreak, he called together of his, all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be the apostles. That's the end. He gathered in his closest buddies. You know what I say about this too? This is amazing. He knew all of them by name. Face-to-face encounter, they knew each other well. And then verse 17 says, when they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There's the out. Up, in, out, and three pieces of scripture in Luke 6. Let's talk about up. That's the most important one. It's our connection to God. In the book of Ephesians, it talks, Paul, Paul prays a prayer for the Ephesian church. And he says, I want you, I'm praying for you that you would know the height, the depth, and the width of the love of God. I'm going to look at, we're going to dive into all three of those. The height of love is relationship with God. Reaches high above the heavens, reaches high above the earth. And, and, and it's it, it denoted by that walk humbly with your God. Let me explain something to you. In Bible time, the Bible's being written. The, 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 the predominant mode of transportation, of traveling anywhere was this. Walking which required you to do life with the people you were moving to one place to another with. It wasn't quick. You didn't get someplace in a hurry. You didn't get someplace fast. You got someplace slow and methodically, and you had to do life together. You had to walk out this thing called life with other people. You ate with them. You laughed with them. You cried with them. You slept near them. You had gathered around campfires and, and, and talked and talked about the experiences of life and, and you, that's how you live. And in, this is the context that walk humbly with your God is written in. God has asked us to join him on a journey and he does not intend for us to get there fast. In fact, the destination is, is something that he tells us about, but he intends for us to enjoy the journey. And most of us are just in such a hurry to get where we're going, we forget to, to, to enjoy what's happening on the way there. And God intends for us to walk humbly with him on this thing called the journey of faith, on this, on this pathway to heaven. Here's the thing I also want to know. He initiates the, the whole idea. He initiates, we follow. We, the, Jesus told his disciples, you can't even come to me unless the Father has first drawn you. Isn't that amazing to think about? At one point, Jesus looks at his disciples. He says these words, you didn't choose me. I, I, I chose you. Let that 
sink down heavy on you for a minute. What does he want with me? What can I, what can I offer him? And yet, at that same time he chooses me, he makes a petition to me. Come, follow. And at the moment, I have to make a decision. I have to make a decision to follow. He's the initiator, but I have to make a decision. I have to exercise my will to follow with him, to walk with him. Every time we pray, we're simply responding to God's call to our heart. Do you know that? Every time I kneel down to pray, it's him drawing me. He's always, always the instigator of the relationship. Here's another thing I'll let you know. On this journey, God will allow certain things to happen that will cause you to have to bow toward him. And sometimes he will create circumstances because he loves you that much and he wants to be close to you. And he knows if he lets you just keep going down the, it's gone now, the timeline, you'll just keep going down the timeline. Do, 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 right? And you got everything handled. You got everything just like you want it. Everything's good. So you're just going to keep doing what you're doing. Nothing's going to change. You're going to reach towards him. You're going to walk humbly because you've got life figured out and how it's going and da, 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 da. I spent time with one of my nephews this week, and his mom, his mom responded to him, well, I guess you know everything. Trying to get him to do something right. You know what I mean? And uh, you know what? We do that with God. He's trying to get us to realize how life's supposed to be led. You know what we do? I got this. I know what's good for me. Until the, sometimes until the floor collapses, until some difficult circumstances happen, we don't reach towards him and he knows it. I know those are hard words sometimes, and I don't believe, I don't believe God, it, 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 the Bible says everything good comes from him, okay? That's what, that, 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 that's, that's what was written in, what's that, James? I don't remember. Somewhere, one of those epistles in the back. It's, this corrupt brain is no good sometimes, just messed up. But God also gives us blessings that result in us praising him, doesn't it? There's certain things he pours in our lives, and our only response is to go, God, you are so good. And he's the one who instigated that. We didn't instigate that. Oh, man. So when, we, when we're responding, we're responding to what he's already given us. When we give, we're responding to what he's given us. Let, let, me, let me encourage you to do something. Get used to, in your everyday life, doing life with God. Get used to walking with him. Get used to the car ride being a holy place. Get used to the time in front of the mirror in the bathroom brushing your teeth for two minutes like they tell you to every morning. An opportunity not just to look and see how, how pearly white your teeth are. To spend time with God. To converse with him and say, God, I'll give you access to my life for this day. Can I say something else to you? If you don't know, if, you don't, if you're not yet in a relationship with God, here's how you get it. Realizing you can do nothing to earn it. What, you, what you've offered to this scenario is sin, and the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way to begin this up thing is to come to the person of Christ. Through his blood on a cross, he died for our sin. We will never be made right. You can't give enough. You can't do enough good things. You can't, you, 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 you can't go to church often enough. You, I mean, I'm just telling you right now, Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's the only way to, to start the up tr- progression of your relationship through him. And today he stands with his arms wide open and says, come follow me. That's what he said. Not because you're good enough. Not because you got all your stuff together. Some of us have to clean ourselves up to come to Christ. Jesus says, come to me and I'll help you work through that. 
Don't wait to get cleaned up because it ain't, it ain't happening, bub. This boy right here isn't completely cleaned up like he needs to be. I'll just tell you that right now. I confessed a few weeks ago, I throw wrenches and stuff at times. Huh? I think thoughts I shouldn't think. And if it was all hanging on me and hinging on me, I could never get there. But because it hinges and it rests on the person of Christ, I'm able to be there because he transplants me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And then my life changes. And he begins to clean me up, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And as I concentrate on my relationship with him, then he begins to grow me. And I find myself deviating away from the things that come natural. And I start going towards the things he intended for me from the beginning of time. And that's cool. So join us on the journey. It would be awesome. Huh? The more, the more can come with us, the more we're going to enjoy life, the more we're going to enjoy heaven, the more we're going to enjoy all of eternity. So we just, just quit, just quit being reluctant and just jump in. Grab Jesus' hand and start walking. Man. So start, start learning to do that. There should be a regiment. Let me say that. I'm not talking about forgoing a quiet time, but I will say this. If you start a quiet time in the morning and you don't intend to take Jesus with you the rest of the day, the quiet time means nothing anyway. Because he intends to walk right beside of you through life. And so if I'm just regimentally doing a quiet time to keep up my religious duty, and I don't intend to think about what Jesus wants from me, I don't intend to have conversation with him the rest of the day, I don't intend to take him to work with me or to mow the grass with me or to go to the grocery store with me. If I don't intend to do that, then I'm wasting my time for that hour in the morning. It's got to be a regular part of our lives, yes. You should make time. As a disciple, there should be a discipline about your life that you spend time with your Father and you make it a priority. But if it's just about that priority for that portion of time and it doesn't carry over to the rest of your life, it means nothing. Are you with me? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 alludes to that. And, and I'll hit it real quick. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust, Lord, with all your heart. That trust, again, goes back to the belief circle. Trust, you can't believe truly scripturally unless you trust, unless you're confident in the person of Christ. His work is sufficient. It says, trust Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. What I think, how I think life ought to be lived, how I think things ought to go. I shouldn't lean on that. Verse six is in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. The word trust is that repent and believe thing. The word way, in all your ways, the, 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 the definition of that word that's used in Hebrew, the Hebrew language in Proverbs, the, the book of Proverbs was originally written in, means a distance, a journey. It's a manner of conduct. It's a condition. It even has to do with a destiny on a pathway to somewhere. And so what, what it's saying here, as you're journeying through life to arrive at the destination of heaven, here's what you have to do. You have to acknowledge God. You have to walk with God. You've got to be, it's a journey. It's not, some people look at, look at Christianity as if it's a ladder you're climbing to get somewhere. We're, we're not climbing to get no place. Jesus bridged the gap between us and heaven. Now he just asks us to walk the journey with him. There's a, there, there, there's a gate, a way into eternal life. It's the person of Christ. It's not a ladder you climb and get all your notches and your requirements done. It's, you grab a hold of the hand of Christ and you walk with him through life. You get it? Now this way in this way that we're walking, we have to acknowledge is what the scripture says here. This word acknowledge is another Hebrew word, yada, in case you guys are Hebrew scholars, which I'm not. I'm just blatantly covering the service. I know very little. I just know enough to be dangerous. Yada, it means to know by observing. It means to know by experiencing. But here's the big deal. 
I can only know God, I can only experience God as I walk with him. I can only observe him as I'm close enough to see him. The whole idea of walking together, you get it? And all my ways, acknowledge him. But it goes a lot deeper than that because the word yada, the first place it's used in the scripture is found in the book of Genesis. And it reads like this. And Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. It has to do with this level of intimacy that it's deep, that it's, it, it connects me at the inner core of who I am, that, that he knows everything about me. I let him into every area of, of my life. And I, I, I am not just surfacely, surfacely serving him. He is a part. Some people get really anxious about those words that were on the screen as we were singing uh, that song, He Loves Us. And heaven, t- how's it go? Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, and my heart turns violently inside my chest. I have no problem with that because God very much intends to affect my life intimately and deeply to the point that he messes me up at times on the inside. I don't apologize for those words. I, I, I think they're right on. And, and, and we can't, God wants us to know him, that we take him with us in the car. We take him with us at the dinner table. We take him with us as we lay our head down at night. We take him with us at the grocery store, at the work. He is, he is intimately involved, and we let him into every, access to every piece of who we are at the baseball field, at the soccer field, at the gym. That he, he, and he's doing business with us the whole time. It comes down to the last, the, the, the greatest commandment, Matthew 22, 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God, listen to these words, with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Are those awesome? Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Everything hinges right there. That up relationship is of utmost importance to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right there, right there, up, up. And we, we, he, he wants that. But see, he doesn't stop there. In verse 38, it reads, and the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's got to be a connection that happens between us and God. But then that connection begins to translate with our dealings with the rest of the human race. And especially those who call themselves followers of Christ. There's going to be a place where we gather together, that we are, are, are brought into a circle of, of loving mercy and knowing that we've been loved and we've been shown mercy and that God is at work amongst us. I, I found a phrase that I like using around here a lot. Ministry and or discipleship happens better in circles rather than rows. You see, you guys will only grow so much if this is the extent of your Christian interaction. Sunday morning at church, sitting, looking, looking at the back of somebody's head. Your ability to grow as a follower of Christ is limited by, that, by that, little, that little bit of time you give God and give other people a chance to, to speak into your life. Because the issue is, only one person speaking into your life, really. Whoever's sharing the message that day, whoever's leading worship and, and feels a uh, to exhort, at that moment, you're kind of... But you find yourself in a thriving relationship with other Christians where you can look face to face, you can gather together over meals, you can gather together over, the, over, the, over the, the word of God, over the person of Jesus, you can gather together and pray for one another, you can gather together and ask questions, then suddenly life begins to happen like it's supposed to. We are made for relationship. Genesis two eighteen reads like this. God says it's not good for the man to be alone. He creates woman for her, right? But that's the first inclination we understand that man was made to be relational. 
Human beings are made to have a relational connection in their lives. A face-to-face encounter with other created beings who are, who are, who are sons and daughters of the creator God. And here's this, faith can only be lived out by relationship, and we call that covenant. Okay, Over and over and over again, God called people into covenant, and the covenant they walked out affected the lives of other people. Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus himself has a last supper. He said, this is the blood of my covenant shed for you. Remember that? And it, it affected them, then it affected all of us since then. And so this idea of relationship comes, it has, covenant also means there's an element of giving and receiving. So here we are. We got the the triangle, right? Up is here. We've had our connection to God and we've talked about walking with him. But at some point in time, the heavenly gaze has to come down to where we're interacting with other people who are following Christ. That brings us to the end. God gathers in those who are, who, who are of like precious faith, and they begin to do life together, walking that same path that God and that individual is walking. You hear that? And, and, and that covenant requires two things. It requires giving, okay, and receiving. And my wife told me I spelled this word wrong in the first service, so I'm going to get that right this time. Giving and receiving. See, the reason why this is insufficient is because you know what? What you will do this entire morning mostly is receive. You will, you will listen and I will speak and you will receive. What happens in a relational connection is there, there, there is opportunity to give out what you know about God and you discover from the word and to receive from others what they've gotten. And so this is very, this is very essential to the, to the pathway of faith. You cannot live the Christian walk without doing it with people who are walking with you. Jesus did this with his disciples. He, he would call hundreds, even thousands of people. They'd come and hear him speak. But then he began to, he began to, to tighten the circle. And we know at one point he sent out 72. Other place, we know of the, of the 12. And even in the 12, he drew, drew an even closer circle to himself of these three guys, Peter, James, and John, who saw him transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. They, were, they had a very even closer connection. Here's the thing. The tighter the circle was drawn, the deeper the relationship was. He would reveal to them things he didn't reveal to everybody else. He would speak at the Sermon on the Mount and explain certain things. Then he drove his disciples to him and explain the parables, and they'd get to know really what God was thinking, what God was saying, what God meant about things. And it was just, oh, wow. And see, in, uh, we, we, the way we accomplish that here is connection groups. And we call them connection groups on purpose because we want you to be connected. It's not just about a group of people meeting in a home somewhere. It's about, it's about Holy Spirit connection. It's about kingdom connection. That's for the purpose of edifying those who are there. But it will also translate, our hope is, eventually that these in people begin to connect together so well they can do out stuff together. We call them connection groups. There's a whole list of them out there on the, on the, side, on the, the, the side wall beside the information center. You ought to get in one. Because if you don't, you're only limiting yourself by what you can receive here. You will never give out. And you are limited by growing. We give and we get back. That's what the scriptures tell us over and over again. We always associate that with monetary giving all the time. But the only time we hear it is because somebody said an offering. Give and receive, give and receive. It's about everything about life. We give hope, we get hope back. We give prayer, we get prayer back. We give, we give the word of God, we get the word of God back. So, I'm encouraging you, 
The smaller the circle, the deeper the relationship. Love is the hallmark. Patrick just talked about that. John 13 reads like this, verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, Jesus tells them. Look at these disciples in his close circle of 12. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. To love to that degree is huge. As I have loved you, he said, you ought to love one another. Talking about the close connection of the disciples, the followers of Christ. And he says that that, that requires commitment. That requires full identification. Jesus would call them by name. He would call them aside at times and speak specifically to each one of them. Thomas and, and, and Nathaniel and, and Peter and John and, and even Judas at times. They had these face-to-face, life-on-life connections. It has to do with sharing. At times, Jesus would let them ask questions. He'd ask questions to them and ask them to respond to his questions. There was a sharing element. There's a loyalty thing, and it means to live out life no matter what the cost. At one point in the same discourse, Jesus would look at his disciples and he would go, you know what, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. It's the same kind of love he's talking about here that we should have between our, each other in this in facet, this in dimension of our relationships. 1 Peter 2.9 reads like this. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Those are beautiful words because it talks about the inness of our relationship, that we are among a group of people. Our identity is found in the person of Christ, having shed his blood for us. Remember the scripture in Micah 6, 8 said, love mercy. Well, who's the one who showed mercy to us? Jesus. The Bible says God is love. His mercy is shown in our hearts, right? Right? Love mercy. Love mercy. Once you've received the mercy, but now you've received God's mercy. So that brings us, that piece of scripture brings us to the next piece, the out piece of our relationship. Because in 1 Peter 2.9 it says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There should be something that goes on out of the up and through the end that leads us to change the world for Jesus. And I'm a little bit frustrated by this one. And I'll tell you why. I was listening to a, a, a conference simulcast this week as I was in my office on a couple of occasions. And there's, there's guys who keep statistics and, and all that sort of thing about the body of Christ. George Barnes is one of them. There's a statistic out right now. Makes me mad. I want to throw something. 90. Everybody say 90. 90% of people who call themselves followers of Christ will never, never, never share their faith before they die. to say if Jesus has done such amazing stuff in our lives how do we not share that how is it even possible to call yourself a follower of Jesus 
and not have told anybody about what he's done. That makes zero sense. As a result, they tell us this right now. 85% of our kids, 18 to 24, will walk away from faith and never come back. Which leads me to believe this faith thing is a Sunday morning deal, and that's all that it is. And our kids don't see, even see it at the house. So why don't they want to serve Jesus anyway? If those two statistics don't weird you out, I don't know what does. I, I, I go, oh, 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 okay. This is how wide our reach is, how far we reach into the world around us. There's the, uh, the height of the, the, the love of God and how, we, how he reaches towards us and we reach towards him. And there's the end, the depth of the community of faith who call on the person of Christ. But there has to be a far-reaching effect of both of those relationships in the world around us. And, and we, we leave it out sometimes. We, we think we can go ahead and just serve Christ, show up at church. You know what? This is the do justly piece. Jesus called them. He drew them together. Then he sent them out. He said, come to me. Listen to what I have to say. Draw close together and then go do something. Can you tell them that? He's always the compass. And, and, and he, he prayed. Yep. He gathered his brothers. The end. And he moved into the crowds, the out. That was Jesus' mode of operation. We're supposed to be the body of Christ. Our mode of operation ought to be very similar. Reaching up towards our Father. Reaching into a, a congregation, a group of people, an assembly of people who can edify and encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. And we can do this likewise to them, provoking them to love and good works like Hebrews 11 says. But there should also be this go and make disciples fast that comes out of the other two. My fear is... It's not there. If I took a water balloon right now and I begin to fill it up and all it did was get, 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 get. If it doesn't get some sort of outlet, what's going to happen to it? It will burst. If I, as just a mere human being, sit and eat all day and have no outward function of any kind, either activity or other sorts of bodily function, what's going to happen to me? I will burst. Will I be good for anybody? If, I, if, that, if, that, if that water balloon keeps getting full and suddenly it busts, you know what it becomes? It becomes completely unuseful. No matter how many times I rehook the hose up to it, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to hold anything. It's not going to do anything. And we as the body of Christ have to be able to receive and to give away. We've got to be able to share with the body of Christ and give out what, what, what we've shared to, the, to others around us. And if my fear is we're not doing that. I mean, I, you, I can go through several scriptures. Matthew 9, Mark 1, Jesus is talking. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray the Lord the harvest. Ask him to send more workers to his field. He said, I must go to other towns as well, and I'll preach to them too. That's why I came. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 4, I must preach the good news of the kingdom in other towns too because that is why I was sent. So he traveled around preaching in the synagogues throughout Judea. My fear is, as we as Christians aren't finding a way to let the out out. It should concern us. You want to know why our nation's in a wreck it's in? Probably because the church has bottled up itself too much. 
We've not lived life on life with people. We've not gotten, to, you know what, here's the funny part about it. Even, even Billy Graham has gotten, gotten a clue that, that, that even his, that, that the culture has changed. I mean, Billy Graham's known for what? Big evangelistic crusades, doesn't he? I mean, back out arenas. He's doing one this fall. He realizes that to help people get ready to go, that's not, going, that, 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 that's not effective. We, we, we've probably made converts, but we've not made disciples. In that you, know what, you, know what, you know what his big crusade is going to be? He's asking Christians to open their home. He'll be preaching a message on TV. And he's, he's not doing it in a big crusade. He's, doing, he's asking each Christian to gather their friends in their house to do life together. And, and it's, it's determined as his last great crusade. It'll be the last one for him. He's in his, whatever, he's his 80s, 90s now. He, he, and he's saying, listen, I've realized something, that unless I attach a life to another life, the, the, the discipleship process can't go on. And so having a big crusade maybe isn't the deal. Maybe it's getting Christians actually to do the work of getting involved in the lives of their neighbors, their coworkers, their friends, and getting the message out through them that they can be connected to the body of Christ and grow like they're supposed to grow. The first week in November, he's planning on doing that. I just got a, got a pamphlet on it this week, and I thought, man, that's amazing. Even a guy like Billy Graham, who has his system, has his plan, has his program, have done it certain ways for years, goes, dude, it's got to be a better way. We're missing something. Something's not working right. And is willing to change and do what needs to be done. Let's talk about this triangle one last time. Jesus in Matthew 4.19 says words like this, come, follow me. There's the up. And I will show you, there's the end in a tight, close circle, how to fish for people. There's the out. One sentence, Jesus talks about all three of them. So you, where are you at in this scenario? Let me ask you a question. Have you received from God? Are you, are you at this point where you have an up connection? Do you understand that God loves you desperately, that how he loves us so greatly that his love is poured down on top of us and we are like that tree bent in the, in the winds of a hurricane? that he loves us with a deep love that is everlasting. He died that we might live. He lives that we can live eternally. That's awesome. And he beckons us to come. But my question is, how closely are you walking to him? If you're not already walking with him, you've got to start the journey, and today's the day for you. If you already, if already kind of started, my question is, how, how, how much life are you and God doing together? Are you inviting him on the journey? Are you listening to him as he invites you on his journey? Are you adjusting your path and your direction so you can walk where he wants you to walk and do what he wants you to do? For some of you, the question is not whether you walk with God. The question is, are you sharing together what God's given you? Are you finding yourself in close, deep relationships where you can keep yourself accountable during uh, while you're in a, in a repentance phase of your life? And, and are there people who can speak into you and you can speak into them? Are there, is there a group? Um, even our ministries are designed around that idea. Hopefully, people who are working in worship ministry and usher ministry and children's ministry and youth ministry are working together and they're finding themselves doing life together, intercession, all those, that we're growing together and we, we, we provide a covenant for one another and a, and a growth together. Are you in something like that? Are you in a connection group? Are you, are you finding yourself walking through life with other believers in that in relationship? Because if you're not, you are limiting your ability to be everything God wants you to be because there's no covenant involved. There's a receiving maybe on your behalf from certain people, but there's not a giving away of it. There's not a sharing of what God's doing. And that has to be a part of the scenario. And is there an out portion? Is there some person right now in your life you know is not where they need to be with Christ? 
Is there some person that you work with, a neighbor, a friend, that you know desperately needs the message of the gospel, and God's placed you and your family, your other coworkers, right in the space where they can hear the gospel and respond? Who is the person you could invite to your house if Billy Graham was doing a, a meeting tonight on TV and you want them to hear the gospel? Well, you know what? Don't wait till November. Start right now. Huh? Start right now. Are you, are, are, you, are, you, are you giving to others what you've been given? See, if we don't do this, we just live in two dimensions. Some of us are really good about the, the, the up. We got the upright, man. Woo! Living for Jesus. Hallelujah. Pray. Go to church. Doing good. Yes. Reading the Bible. But I haven't connected over here. Yeah. But I think if I do good stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be there at that parking lot sale on Saturday. I'm going to help with City Hope. I know we're going to get connected to, too close to the body of Christ, but I'll go ahead and we're living in two dimensions. Some of us are like, I got this one, and man, I love my little group, and I just like doing things together. And, and I, not forgot about, I forgot about the people who are on the outside looking in. Some of us are really good about having some really good friends and really doing nice stuff for people, but we forgot him. So which which which? which which dimensions? Are you only living in 2D or are you living in 3D? Maybe you're living in 1D. I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's just a line. Who wants to live there? Hey, I'm, here I am. Hmm. Looks like a pancake. All right, good, good, good. Yeah, doing great. You need to start receiving from God. That's the place to start. And you, some of you need to start receiving. Some of you need to start by getting in. No longer sitting on the outside. No longer sitting on the corners. No longer just making a Sunday morning service all that there comprises your, 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 your weekly interaction with the body of Christ. Some of, you, some of you need to start that. Some of you need to start by giving out. You, you, you've sat here for weeks. Maybe you've sat here for months. Lord forbid, maybe for years. And there has never been any fruit of your Christianity expressed to anybody else outside who's sitting right here beside of you. God forbid. I mean it. I don't know how to make it any plainer than that. Jesus' last words is go and make disciples. That requires life-on-life interaction with the people who are walking that path already and life-on-life interaction with those who have yet to start the journey. Making a disciple is hard work. Takes time, takes energy, takes love, takes compassion, takes patience. Can you imagine what it would look like if we lived in 3D, man? My wife and daughters and I have had this de- debate. Man, I love 3D movies. Who else is in the 3D movies? Anybody like 3D movies? Anybody else in the house? Dude, I love 3D. It's, it's awesome. I'm going to go take, take my girls to go see The Hobbit back in Christmas time. And there's this one scene where this eagle like flies over like from behind. And, uh, and as, it came up, as it came through, I went, Whew. I was like, dude, that was, look at my girls. That was awesome. I just like, I felt like I was right there in the middle of it. Man, it was alive and it was real. But if you just live in 2D, it's just 2D. You can't, you're not in the scene. You're not in the action. You're just observing from a distance what's going on. And too often we as Christians observe all of life from 2D, man. We're missing a dimension of life God intends for us to live in relationship to others and to himself. And that's why we can't put the pieces together. This morning, what dimension's missing in your life? 